all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. Today on Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit, I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And it is an absolutely beautiful day here in Mississippi, and I am not in the studio. I am live, though. I am visiting one of my favorite towns, Oxford, Mississippi, and soaking up some sunshine today. And so that makes me really excited. And the second thing that makes me really excited is that it's National Lifestyle Medicine Week. So if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that I absolutely adore lifestyle medicine and the things that we can use in lifestyle medicine to help prevent, treat, and reverse a chronic disease. So we're going to go through that today. We're going to talk about each one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine and some real easy, actionable steps that you can put into place to start to practice those pillars. So Lifestyle Medicine Week actually started yesterday. So we are on day two of LM week, but I'm not going to skip any of the pillars today. So yesterday's focus was on stress management, and today's focus in, in the Lifestyle Medicine Week is on physical activity. So we'll start those two pillars right off the bat and talking about really what we're getting at here with these two pillars of lifestyle medicine. And it boils down to stressing less and moving more. And I know you're probably thinking, well, that's easier said than done. And it can be. It can be. Stress is an inevitable part of our life. And that's okay. A certain degree of stress is helpful in moving things forward, right? Um, Think about back when you were in school or if you have an assignment that's due, um, the kind of stress around that particular thing prompts us to action, right? Makes us study or, you know, my son's going through finals this week, so I hope he's uh, studying and, you know, makes you work hard and, and put intentional thought and effort into whatever project it is that you're working on. What can happen, though, is when how we think about stress and how we react to the stress becomes um, maladaptive. So when we become kind of super fixated on the stress or it monopolizes our time or we just don't see a way out of the stress or we just kind of bounce from one very stressful situation to another, 
um, that can be hard and it can take a toll on our mental health and just our overall well-being. So again, like in anything that we do with lifestyle medicine, we don't have to be perfect, but putting some intentional things into play to help with stressing less can really benefit our, you know, our health overall. And, you know, why do we care? You know, why is is maladaptive stress not good for us? Well, it can raise your blood pressure. It can, you know, keep kind of stress hormones circulating at higher levels than we want them to be, which can impact our blood sugar levels and all of these different kinds of things. And then just at the the very base of it, when we're so wrapped up in stress, we don't have a lot of energy for anything else. And so that makes um, the exercise part or the physical activity part harder. It can make, um, you know, choosing to cook home-cooked meals and eat a balanced meal harder when we're just so worn out from the stress and the worry and the anxiety and all of those things. So starting to think about small, measurable things that we can put into place can be really helpful when we're, we're writing a goal on stressing less. So the first tip I have is to take a moment for yourself. And that may sound really basic, but it's actually hard when we stop and think about where we spend our energy during the day and how much of it we spend just on yourself. And I don't mean scrolling through social media or watching YouTube videos or any of the things that we tend to do in our kind of downtime or our our kind of de-stress time. But actually focusing in on yourself, on your body, and being present in the moments around you, you know. And when you first start that and you say, well, what does that look like? What does taking a moment for myself look like? It can feel weird, right? But it doesn't have to be a long moment. It can be a minute that you spend just on yourself and just on focusing on things around you. And one of... Uh, my favorite kind of really easy to incorporate techniques is something called box breathing. And so what the heck is box breathing? Well, if you kind of picture uh, four sides of a box, it's essentially breathing in, holding it, breathing out and holding it again. So putting that into practice, right? So putting this pillar of lifestyle medicine into practice can be as simple as carving out a minute for yourself, to do this box breathing exercise. So that would be a good old inhale in, holding that inhale for four seconds, right? So it takes four seconds to breathe it in, holding that breath for four seconds, taking another four seconds to breathe it out, and then holding that exhale for four seconds. So what do we got there? Four, 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 16 um, seconds, so not even a full minute. So you can repeat that exercise a couple of times and really focusing in on what your body feels like as it breathes in, the sensations you feel as you hold that breath, and the exhale. And bonus points, if you're making your diaphragm do the work of breathing for you there and not your chest muscles, because you're just going to get more relaxation that way. I really love deep breathing exercises because they can be done anywhere at any time with zero equipment. All you need is yourself uh, and your lungs and, uh, you know, uh, the ability to count. 
and it really can work on shutting down whatever thought processes that you have going on that make it hard to get out of the cycle of stress and out of the cycle of worry. If deep breathing is not your thing, there are tons of other things that you can do to work on stressing less. Um, connecting with others is a, is a big one. So maybe that's having a phone call with a friend or going out to uh, lunch with someone. Uh, making time for your hobbies, right? Stop and think about if you had unlimited time, what would be something you would want to focus your time and efforts on? Maybe that's cross-stitching. Maybe that's reading. Maybe it's um, learning a new skill. Uh, maybe it's painting. You know, whatever that is, and then work backwards from that and go, well, what's one thing I can do today to start to work on that hobby? Maybe it's clearing off a spot in your um, house to, to house whatever things you need to do to, uh, to do that hobby. Uh, and then laugh. Laughing um, is such a great way to have a momentary kind of boost to your mood. Um, so look for the little pockets of laughter in your life. They're out there. Um, cut on a comedy show if you need to, but find ways to giggle. It really does um, kind of boost boost that mood, even if it's just uh, temporarily. The um, you know the goal of all of this is just intentionality, right? And first recognizing the fact that we just kind of scuttle from worry to worry or stressful situation to stressful situation, and we get caught up in just kind of surviving to the next event or the next situation, when we can help to equip our body and arm ourselves with some things that we need um, to, to, to make that um, something that we can do for a lifetime, right, so that we don't burn out, that we don't... Um, not enjoy the little things that are going on around us. So I hope you think about a way to uh, stress less today, to think about a little activity that you can put into your regular routine to focus a little bit of time in on, um, on yourself uh, and start to work on your stress and your worry. The next thing that we're going to talk about is physical activity, and that is the focus of uh, today's uh, social media posts around lifestyle medicine and really what we're trying to get the message across with today. And physical activity is a pretty complex uh, pillar of lifestyle medicine. And so before we get down into the deep parts of physical activity, and I kind of give you my tips and things that you can do today to start to practice the pillar of physical activity, I think that that is um, a, a kind of dreaded set of words for a lot of folks when I start to mention physical activity because we automatically think exercise. And then we usually think, oh, that's not fun or I'm going to have to go to a gym, or I'm going to be in pain, or all these different kinds of things. And that makes me a little bit sad, because it doesn't have to be that way. Um, physical activity, really what we're getting at is just moving more. How do we move more in our life? Um, that's why I really like the campaign from the American College of Sports Medicine, which says, um, sit less, move more. Because that's really just what I'm trying to get you to do, is think about ways that we can get up, and move, even if that's just for a minute or two minutes. It doesn't have to be, um, or it doesn't have to start as being something really long, something really painful, or something that you dread doing. Because at the end of the day, those are not things that you're going to do for a lifetime um, and be just part of your 
daily routine. And that's where lasting health comes into play. It's not something that we are going to do for, you know, two weeks or for, you know, the length of a certain program or any of those things. It's what are we going to do with joy um, on most of the days of your, of your life, right? And so why do we want you to move more? Why do I want you to kind of get up and move around? Well, it helps prevent and manage a ton of chronic diseases, in particular things like heart disease, lowering your risk of stroke, helping with your blood sugar, um, and kind of what we call glycemic control to help you get that diabetes under control maybe, um, and also reduces risks of certain different types of cancers. And then if we want to tie it right back into the pillar we talked about before break, which was stress management, physical activity is great for mental health and uh, just improving quality of life. So the guidelines out there, you're probably very familiar with them. I've talked about them on the show before, but, you know, how much physical activity do we need? I'm going to tell you the numbers, and then I want you to not get discouraged, right? So guidelines are going to be 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity physical activity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity. But anything counts, right? So if you are not regularly physically active, that's okay, right? We do not have to go from zero to 150 or 75 or go from light intensity to vigorous intensity overnight or even over the next month, right? It's just about how do we get up? How do we move um, with some, some intentionality? So what does the intensity piece look like? When I say moderate intensity and vigorous intensity, how do we know what that is? Well, there are tons of charts out there that will say, you know, running at this speed per hour qualifies as this level of intensity versus this speed is another intensity. I find that to be a little bit hard to put into practice, especially because we're all coming from different fitness levels. Um, you know, there are going to be folks who are already regular walkers or joggers, and then there are going to be folks who maybe haven't been as active as they would like to be in, in recent history. So I like to use something called the talk test to tell me whether what I'm doing is light, moderate, or vigorous intensity. So what I got going on right now, like I'm fairly sedentary. I'm moving around this park a little bit, um, but that's light intensity. There's no change in my voice. I'm not breathing any harder. I can carry on a full conversation. And if I wanted to, I could even sing, although nobody wants me to do that. Moderate intensity is where I can talk, but I could not sing. I don't have that extra breath capacity to be able to sing. And then vigorous intensity is where I actually have to take some pauses in between words to get a full sentence out. And so we don't have to be there, right? We don't even have to be at moderate intensity when we first start. We can absolutely start with light intensity things just to get in the habit of moving more. And that's really important, right, as we think about finding an activity that doesn't make us miserable and that um, we will enjoy and do on a daily basis. So find that activity, and it doesn't have to be the same one that I like. You know, I like to dance. I like to do Zumba. Um, Kevin, our producer, likes to play tennis. Um, I have nothing against tennis. I'm just absolutely terrible at it. So it is not something that I would do on a daily basis. 
um, I wouldn't necessarily look forward to it. But there are folks who enjoy a multitude of different types of physical activity. And that's what it's about, is finding one that you will stick with and do on a routine basis. And we don't want to forget things like resistance training. And I think that resistance training is often very misunderstood because it can, um, again, make us think about lifting weights or having to go to a gym. And neither one of those things are, are correct. The, uh, you have all of the resistance equipment you need right on your body and using your own body weight as resistance. And when we're talking about resistance, I'm meaning pushing or pulling against something, basically. Um, and then, you know, after you feel like you've mastered body weight exercises, we can make new things around your house to help increase that resistance whether that be using um, canned veggie cans as little handheld weights, they each weigh a pound, uh, so that kind of ups the resistance, using um, a resistance band that you can get, um, using a milk jug that you kind of fill up with water. All of those things can be, um, can be created at home that you can use to increase your resistance. So what's the goal for that? Well, two to three days a week of resistance. And I don't necessarily put a time limit on the amount of resistance exercise that we do, but just making sure we're hitting big muscle groups. Uh, so if we're going to do something two to three times a week, every other day, think about hitting your big muscle groups. And my favorite three exercises that I prescribe for patients um, to start to work on resistance require no equipment, no access to a gym, um, but work on the big muscles in our legs and the big muscles in our arm and chest. And so the first one's calf raises. And so a calf raise is simply where you stand and you rise up on your toes and um, hold that for a couple of seconds and then go back down. Now, I usually recommend that people, um, if they have any kind of balance issues or we've not um, been active recently, Hold on to something, right? Like have a chair beside you that you're holding on to. Hold on to the wall, the rail of something as you move up onto your uh, toes and hold that for, you know, three seconds and then go back down. That would be one repetition when you do that. I usually start people off with about eight reps of that. And then we call that one set. And I like for folks to do two sets, ideally. If you can only do one that's okay too, right? However you need to start. So the next one I usually like to prescribe is a wall push-up. And that is simply where you stand about 18 inches away from the wall and put your hands shoulder width apart um, with your palms flat on the wall and you lean into the wall and then you push away. So now I'm working the the muscles in my upper chest and in my shoulder um, to add some pushing resistance here, right? Um, Again, kind of down to the wall and back is one rep. Repeat that eight to 10 times. Do that for two sets. Now you've got some good work that you've done in the big muscles at the top part of your body. And then the last one I usually do is something called a chair squat. And I know the word squat can have some negative um, emotions around it. But in this particular exercise, get a good chair one that doesn't roll and is not going to move out from underneath you, and simply sit down in it and then stand back up. That's how we start with the chair squat. As our legs get 
stronger, meaning as our quads on the top part of our leg get stronger, maybe we don't put our bottom all the way in that chair. Right? We stop before our, our um, uh, bottom gets to the chair seat and stand back up without using our hands. Um, and that one can be a little bit harder than we give it credit for. But doing those takes 10 minutes every other day of the week, and you really start to focus in on um, growing some good muscle tissue and supporting healthy muscles and healthy bones that keep us more active um, and uh, more independent as we age. Um, if you're looking for where to start in terms of your other physical activity, walking, jogging, swimming, biking, any of those things that you enjoy, and you have blood sugar issues, I recommend trying to put that in after mealtimes, right? Even if it's just for five minutes of whatever that activity is, after your meals, after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then that helps us, helps our muscles take up that extra sugar that we have in our bloodstream and help us improve our glycemic control. The take home here on physical activity is that truly anything counts. And right now, a ton of my patients have gardens, which I think is one of the best ways to be physically active. You get out in that garden, you pull weeds, you, you know, you um, hoe up a row, you plant things, you get your hands dirty, you get some sunshine. It's a great way to get out in nature, to be um, mindful of all the beauty around you while also getting some of those sitting less and moving more minutes racked up there. Um, so if you've got a garden, that counts. And if you don't have a garden, think about what's easy to grow that you might like to try. Herbs are always a good shot. Um, they're relatively hardy and easy to grow, plus they're a great way to flavor your, uh, your meals without adding extra salt. One of the other pillars, avoiding risky substances. And so what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about tobacco, and we're talking about excessive alcohol intake. And so, you know, how much um, should we be drinking? If we're talking about brain health, there's not really an amount of alcohol that is necessarily good for promoting brain health. Um, but um, if you're choosing to drink, then you know, I usually recommend no more than one beverage a day or one serving a day. Um, guidelines will bump it up for, for two for men in some cases, but I usually only recommend one uh, per day. Um, but I want to focus in on the tobacco um, for a second. As I tell my patients, the single greatest thing you can do for your health is to stop smoking. Um, it impacts so many different areas of our body uh, and you know, just not only our lungs, which is what we think about, but also our heart, our brain, our bladder, all these different parts of our body that um, are really important to our overall health and wellness and for lowering our risk of heart disease and stroke. So how do we do that? Well, you know, I think it's important for you to remember if you're out there and you're listening and you're currently smoking and you're, you're thinking, I don't know if I can do this, just know that people do it every day. People can and do stop smoking, and you can too, um, but you don't have to do that alone. There are um, so many resources out there available um, to help you with that. And another encouraging thing to think about is now, right here in the world, there are more former smokers than there are current smokers. So we're kind of winning that war a little bit. Um, but I want you to give yourself some patience and give yourself some grace because it is hard to do. 
And like I said, there are tons of resources that are out there for you. Of course, um, here at UMC, we have the ACT Center, which is helpful. There's also the 1-800-QUIT-NOW um, hotline that can help and just having that conversation with your regular health care provider. So we want to help you make a plan for success and a plan for what we're going to add into your routine to help kind of take up the place that you might have had um, using a tobacco substance. And that may be that we actually, I prescribe it all the time going on a nature walk um, or that deep breathing exercise we used at the beginning or identifying a buddy for you to reach out to when you just feel like you can't do it, you know, and, and having somebody that's going to be encouraging for you. Making a good yummy snack um, to help fuel your body for that. And then don't discount the use of nicotine replacement therapies, things like the gum and the patch, lozenges, all different kinds of, of options out there. But again, I would have a conversation with your healthcare provider because we want to make sure that you're using the correct dosage because they come in different dosages um, for your current amount of um, tobacco use and then that you're using them correctly. I see a lot of people just pop the nicotine gum in their mouth and chew it like you would do normal normal gum. And that's, that's not the way that it's most um, efficacious. So you actually want to bite into that until you kind of feel that um, tingle and then you kind of pocket that gum down in between um, uh, the your cheek and your kind of lower um, jaw so that, that that nicotine can absorb and get into the body and start to do its thing and helping you re- um, stop smoking. So think about uh, both of those pillars that we just talked about, the risky substances and the physical activity, and I encourage you to think of one small thing that you can do today to start working in each of those areas if they apply to you. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, and we've been celebrating Lifestyle Medicine Week, which we're on day two of um, today, and it goes the entire uh, the entire week. I'm super excited about that. We've talked about stress and smoking and physical activity in the first couple of segments of the show, and if you have any questions or comments about those, I'm happy to take a call today. Um, We're going to spend the next little bit of time talking about uh, one of my favorite topics, which is nutrition. And it's probably the uh, set of questions that I get the most um, questions about, especially in clinic, um, with people who come in and say, tell me what not to eat. And I go, oh, nope, that's not my job. We're going to talk about what we should be eating more of. And just like I talked about moving more, That's what we're going to talk about with nutrition is what are things we need to add to our plate, which is a whole different mentality when we approach good, balanced nutrition and healthy living. It's not about restriction. Uh, When we restrict things, we uh, get mad, we get angry, and we feel like we're missing out on something. And so there is not a single food out there that I don't think we can fit into a balanced uh, way of eating. Um, it's just about what we add more of to our plate because naturally as we add more of things that are rich in nutrients, we usually automatically consume less of some of the things that don't have as many nutrients and just have more calories. But the number one rule we have is no guilt. Right? I get so frustrated when I see 
uh, magazine, uh, you know, kind of ads or kind of the headlines on the magazine that's like 10 guilt-free desserts. And I just go, oh, we're missing the point, right? We we don't need to have guilt around any of the things uh, that we have. And I know that that's a very real emotion that a lot of people have around food. And there are um, things that we can do to help with that and, and you know, special healthcare providers who work with folks who have, you know, uh, kind of difficult emotions surrounding the way that they eat. Um, but, you know, my sincere hope for you is that you find joy in your food and that we think about what we need to just have more of on our plate. And that's more whole plant foods. And so when I say whole plant foods, I don't mean you got to get them from a certain store. I mean plants that haven't had a ton of stuff done to them, right? So if I want to get the heart-healthy fats associated with olives, instead of eating olive oil, how can we throw some olives on, um, you know, an appetizer board or add them into a salad or into a pasta sauce or any of those different kinds of things? Knowing that if you choose to use olive oil, that is not bad. Again, no bad and good things here. But we do reap the benefits of the added fiber when we choose the whole plant food. And that is basically what we're getting at, right? When we choose whole plant foods, we get not only all of the wonderful vitamins and minerals that they have, but they usually also have a fair amount of water in them, which water has no calories and does take up space. And we get the fiber, which again, doesn't have calories and takes up space so that we're able to eat a full plate of food and not be hungry and not feel restricted and still maintain or lose weight depending on whatever our goals are there. Uh, so when I say whole plant foods, you know, what are the ones that we need to be looking out for? Well, fruits and veggies are going to be the first thing that I usually recommend people add to their plate. And the next question that I usually get is, well, which one? And my response to that is, whichever one you will eat, meaning you enjoy it, you can afford it, and you know how to cook it, right? Um, there is no food out there that I recommend you adding to your diet if you don't enjoy it, right? If you don't like broccoli, I do not want you to eat it, right? Is broccoli a, a great food? Absolutely. Low in calories, tons of vitamins and minerals, tons of fiber, you know, great great option to add, usually relatively inexpensive, all of the, all the, checks all those boxes. But if you hate it, don't add it to your plate. There's no point in doing that um, just for the sake of, you know, kind of checking a vegetable uh, mark off. So eat what you like, eat what you enjoy. And if that is fresh, that's awesome. If it has to be frozen, that's okay too. Even if it has to be canned, we can drain and rinse those things and still get good vitamins, minerals, and fiber from those veggies. Um, the same goes for fruit. I often hear, which fruits should I eat? Which ones have more sugar? All of these different kinds of things. I would encourage you not to get that hung up on the little details. Fruit is a whole plant food that has tons of antioxidants and fiber and water and all of these good things in it. So again, eat what you enjoy, what you can afford, and what won't seem like a, a punishment or a stress to you, right? If that's berries, great. If that's an orange, awesome, right? But choosing the wholest form of it that we can, and by that I mean the actual orange, 
versus the orange juice. Nothing inherently wrong with orange juice. You just tend to consume a larger amount of calories for a smaller amount of volume in your belly uh, with juices. And so if you're choosing juice to meet one of your fruit uh, requirements, I would limit that to only four ounces a day um, because otherwise it's just adding in some extra calories without kind of getting the super good benefits of the fiber there. All right, so fruits, veggies, legumes, which people usually go, huh? We're talking beans, lentils, those types of things, okay, peas, all of those things. And then the question I usually get asked about next is, well, those make my belly hurt, right? And that's a very common thing we hear when people start to add more um, beans and peas and lentils and things into their diet is that it may cause some abdominal bloating, some gas, those kinds of things. Um, and there are techniques that we can use to help with that. Pressure cooking, those things can help with some. If you're using a canned variety, um, draining and rinsing those. Um, if you're starting from a dried bean, soaking those overnight and discarding that water. And then the next is just go slow, right? You know, while I have, you know, upwards of a cup of beans every day and some way, shape, or form, you don't have to do that, right? If you're not a routine bean or, um, you know, legume eater, how can we add just a couple of tablespoons a day to start to up our fiber content, lower our cholesterol content so that we're full and satisfied? Um, one of my favorite ways to do that is just use less meat in your favorite recipes. So, um, maybe spaghetti is a real um, go-to recipe for you and your family. You'll have a pasta night. Say half the amount of ground meat that you normally use in that, and the rest as lentils. They make a great substitution um, for ground meat. And that way you get to introduce smaller amounts of those legumes into your system um, and then just build up kind of your tolerance from there to where you're able to eat more of those things. I'm thinking about um, pureed options as well. Hummus is one of my favorite um, ways to kind of sneak in some uh, uh, beans when um, when people may have a texture issue because it's nice and smooth and a great way, uh, a great dip for getting in some more of those fresh veggies. And then whole grains, right? Whole grains are um, an excellent addition to your diet from a variety of reasons. Um, Good fiber keeps you fuller for longer, helps to stabilize your blood sugar and keep it kind of from crashing a little bit um, sooner than if we just have a, a refined uh, flour product. So how do we know if something is a whole grain or not? Well, your common ones, things like oatmeal, that's going to be a whole grain, brown rice, um, um, barley, those types of things. But if it's a packaged product that you're looking at, how do we know? Well, it should say 100% whole grain on the front to count as a whole grain. Or when you flip that package over and you look at the back of that package, the first ingredient should say something like um, whole whatever, right? Whether it's whole oats, um, whole um, wheat, something like that. And that's kind of your clue in there. And then to a lesser amount on our more whole plants, things like nuts and seeds. So flax seeds, chia seeds, um, any of the nuts that you enjoy. Um, nuts do tend to have a, a higher amount of calories in them, so if weight loss is our goal, 
we want to, you know, do this in moderation, which is usually about a quarter of a cup of nuts or seeds per day. Um, but there's a really cool study that just came out uh, on flax seeds and their benefit in lowering um, blood pressure and just adding in some flax seeds having a good impact on blood pressure there. So they're a great way to kind of sneak in some plant-based protein and some heart-healthy fats in a whole food source. Just make sure you grind those flax seeds up for the full benefit there. And I do believe we have a caller on the line, so we'll go down to Mobile and say, how can I help you? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. What can I help you help you with today? So I just had a quick comment about um, working out and having a creative idea to do it. So I have yeah. five small kids of five and 13 months old, and so going to the gym is not really an option these days. Yeah. Um, but um, I called my local tire shop to see if they had any of the larger size tires. Mm-hmm. And I was able to pick two up for free, and I plan on, like, doing the, the tire flip, how people try to do that um, for exercise, right. like a total body exercise. And so uh-huh. um, I've, I've invested in a jump rope and some tires. And so <laughs> that's how I plan to work I'm out. Um, so proud of you. Like, yeah, you. you're thinking outside the box. You're looking for ways to get active that are meaningful to you, and that's just that's wonderful. You could also set those tires up, and if you had, like, some little bean bags or little balls or anything like that, you could get your kids involved in trying to, like, throw those into the tire, you know, kind of using it as a target, and that counts, too. You know, and then your kids get to see the importance of being physically active. They look to, they look to us, you know, to, to see what's important and where you spend time. So that is that's so that's cool. That is such a great idea. Thank you. I'm taking notes. Have a good day. (laughs) You're welcome. You have a good day as well. All right, guys, before the end of the show, I want to make sure that we highlight social connection um, and isolation and the importance of, you know, making making loneliness something that we talk about. Um, It is one of the most important areas of lifestyle and impacting overall health. And it's actually one of the kind of new priorities by the current Surgeon General. They actually just released a Surgeon General advisory called Combating Loneliness and Rebuilding Connection is Essential to Our Health and Well-Being. And man, I just couldn't agree more. When we look at human happiness and longevity, one of the biggest predictors of that, of living that long, healthy life, is having strong social connections. And even in the short term, just having short interaction, social interaction, has improvements in blood pressure and improvements in heart rate. So we can think about little ways to interact with people. I'm going to go um, walk the square when I'm done with the show today, and I'm looking forward to talking to folks. And just, uh, you know, being present in the moment and interacting with my fellow humans out here. But how can you start to pour in to building social connection? One of my favorite ways to do that is volunteer. Mississippi has so many wonderful volunteer opportunities. I'm sure our surrounding states do as well. The South is great at um, volunteering and supporting communities. Find something you're passionate about. 
whether that be volunteering at an animal shelter to help feed those animals, walk them, clean out their cages, or volunteering at one of our food pantries to help feed our neighbors. All of those things, one, they're good for stress. They're good for um, boosting mood temporarily, but they're also great ways to build connections with people who enjoy things that you also enjoy. Get out and go to a museum in your area if you can, right? You're going to bump into somebody while you're staring at a picture and have a conversation with them. If your community has a block party or uh, a 5K run or any of these different things, think about volunteering there, showing up there um, and meeting people. It is truly so important, and it's something that we work with our patients um, in lifestyle medicine on uh, frequently. I've written prescriptions this week that have to do with how we build social connections and how we work on intentionally interacting with our fellow humans. It's good for you, it's good for them, and it's actually good for communities and populations at large. And your community may be where you live, it may be where you work, it may be an activity that you do. The people around you are your community, and how we pour into that community is good for the community and good for you and good for your individual health. So we won't have time to dig all the way down into the sleep pillar today, but that's okay because we've done whole shows on the importance of sleep. And so if you are going, well, that's the one I wanted to hear about today, Josie. Well, never fear. You can find our episodes on sleep by going to um, your favorite podcasting platform and searching for Southern Remedy and downloading that pod, uh, that podcast and uh, find our Healthy Infant episodes related to sleep. You can always email me as well, any of your questions or your comments or just like the caller that we had today, something that she's figured out that's going to work in her life to be able to support her physical activity journey. I love to hear those. They inspire me. They give me ideas. And I know they inspire someone else listening out there. Our email address is fit at mpbonline.org. I want to thank my producer, Kevin Farrell, and the podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. Remember that if you didn't catch all of today's show, you can listen anytime on that podcast or by going to our website, mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and it's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm your host and I've so enjoyed today. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. If you want to get in contact with me for any reason, please send me an email. That is fit at mpbonline.org. Also remember that Southern Remedy comes on every weekday at 11, so be sure to tune in for the full Southern Remedy lineup. You've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone.